Good morning. I've been thinking a lot about this morning's message. <clears throat> and if you're familiar with the book of Revelation, everyone always goes right to chapter 13 to learn about the Antichrist and the dark days that are ahead in our world. That's really not what this chapter is about. Understand that God, I don't believe, would give us a whole chapter to talk about the Antichrist. That information is given to us in this chapter. There are actually two Antichrists. This morning we'll be speaking about the first. But if you look at the chapter in the section we're going to study today, it's really about how do we get through these dark times. You're going to see that the most important thing we need to remember as we face the challenges in this world are these two words. Patient endurance. Patient endurance. Anyone that trains, whether you train to run marathons, martial arts, athletics, you know the truth. You have to be patient because it takes time. But you also have to learn to endure. I've heard that the individual that wins a confrontation, whether there's a fight or a conflict, is the one that can continue to breathe after two minutes. You'll run out of air before you run out of strength. The thing about endurance is it's the way we get through the world in which we live today. Have you noticed that the world is becoming darker? Have you noticed that when you turn on the news, and I, I hope you don't do that too much because you'll need help, professional help. But when you hear about what's going on in the world and you read the newspaper, you, you learn some things. You learn, and I, and, and I don't know if this is going to offend someone. I hope not. But there's a phrase that says, you know, the inmates are running the asylum. It's not meant to be offensive to anyone who works in an asylum or anyone that has been to an asylum. It's a phrase that simply means the people who are the craziest in our world are running the show. Or have you not figured that out already? What's going on? I could get up here and just talk for the next 45 minutes about how bad things are. Or I could just talk about how bad things are going to get, and it wouldn't benefit us at all. What's important to remember is that things are bad, things are challenging, things are dark, they're difficult. But we are called to endure, to patiently endure. That word patience means perseverance. We're called to get through this. And so many Christians today are waiting to get out of it. And I understand. I want out too. What do I mean by out? I mean, hey, I want the rapture of the church as well. But to patiently endure means to accept what things we can't change. To look at things as they are and embrace the world in which we live in. And trust God through the darkest of times. And that's what this morning's study is all about. Let's pray. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you. We know that you're a good and gracious God, but we also know that this world has fallen. It's in bad shape. It needs more than reformation. It needs renewal. It needs restoration. It needs redemption. It needs you to return to you to rule and reign over this earth and this world system. And while that day may not be today, it may be today when things begin, but it, it, it's not today. The, the world is still dark. Give us the strength in our study today. Encourage us to patiently endure, knowing that you will return, and you will rule and reign, and we will rule and reign with you. But until that time, may we not lose our faith. May we not despair of life. May we not think for a minute that you have forsaken us. May we recognize that though the days be dark, you are the light of the world. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to talk about two individuals that have yet to appear on the earth. As, as bad as our leaders are today, they don't come close to the individuals we'll be talking about over the next two weeks, this, this week and next week. And the first Antichrist, and again there are two, is a world ruler, a world leader. And what I'm going to do is, is read some of this and briefly go over the symbols. Now you can spend hours breaking down the symbols in the Bible that help us to interpret these things. I'm going to do sort of a survey. I'm going to give you some scripture references. I'm going to show you how we interpret these things. But at the end of the day, I don't want you to become overly fascinated with dark things or dark individuals. 
And we don't look in the Bible for the Antichrist. We look for Jesus Christ. So as we open our study, just understand that God wants us to be encouraged and to patiently endure. And that is the message to the saints of that time in the future that has not yet come. But it's a message to us as well. Let's read the first four verses and then we'll break that down. There's a lot there. In the second half of chapter 13, verse 1. And I saw a beast coming out of the sea, and he had ten horns and seven heads, and ten crowns on his horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but it had feet like those of a bear, and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and his great authority, and one of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast, and men worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. And they also worshipped the beast and asked, who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? That word beast is used a lot in that section, and and when you read a word like that, you don't tend to think of an individual. And in fact, the symbolic description of this beast is in fact rather grotesque. It's, it's symbolic. It, it's not meant to be taken literally. There are symbols here that point to truth that will be revealed. And most of these symbols are pretty easy to interpret if you have a decent understanding of the scriptures. So let's go through this. Let's start with the beast coming out of the sea. Next week, we'll talk about the beast that comes out of the earth. The sea. Let's talk about the sea. This can only refer to the Mediterranean Sea, which is the sea that would be spoken about if you were in the Middle East or in Europe or even northern Africa. Waters in the scriptures, and we know this from Revelation chapter 17. We'll get to this in future studies. Waters symbolize the many peoples of the world. In fact, it says that right there. I'll read it for you. Chapter 17, verse 15 says, The waters, the angel said to me, The waters you saw where the prostitute sits, and we'll get to that in future studies, are peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. So water is a symbol, of, in this context, of the peoples of the earth. And it's an apt symbol. But notice, that's where the beast comes from. From among the people. It's interesting because Daniel described the same beast, differently a little bit, but it's the same beast, as coming up out of the sea in Daniel chapter 7. And we studied it here months ago. And we learned from the book of Daniel that there are four world empires, or warfare, because Daniel was looking forward from the time in which he prophesied, four world empires that rise out of the nations surrounding the sea. And in this case, again, the Mediterranean Sea. So the, the sea has two, really two interpretations. It's the people surrounding the Mediterranean Sea. And this beast that we're talking about today is both a kingdom and a king. There's a leader and there's a kingdom. And so it's a fourth kingdom. And we know from Daniel and we know from history that this fourth kingdom was in fact the Roman Empire. And it appeared on the earth after the fall of the previous empire, which was the Greek Empire. So that's not in dispute. I mean, clearly that's what Daniel was talking about. History makes that clear. Now we're talking about a Roman Empire that has since disappeared but has begun to reemerge in these last decades. Today, there is a European Union. There didn't used to be a European Union. In fact, if you go back to the time of the Second World War, you'll know that Europe was anything but unified, clearly. So since the 1940s, which is not that long ago, some people here may remember the 1940s. I'm going to say I do not. <laughs> But if you live through that time period, you know that that wasn't that long ago that Europe was completely divided at war and fighting for world domination. But since that time, over time, Europe has come together and the enemies of the First and Second World Wars are now allies and they have the same currency and they, and they really are, for all intents and purposes, a confederation of nations and they're becoming more and more unified over time. So, those things in history are beginning to bear out that the scriptures had predicted before they, we could have even imagined these things. God knew, of course, that they would happen. 
So this beast that we talk about, when you think about it, there are times where it's clearly a kingdom and there are times where it's clearly the individual in charge of the kingdom, leading and ruling the kingdom. And I'll point out which is which. Now, first of all, the beast is described in the same way that the dragon was described in the previous chapter. Of course, we know the dragon is Satan. Chapter 12 tells us the dragon, the serpent, the devil, Satan is the dragon. But isn't it interesting that this beast, who is both a ruler and a kingdom, looks just like the dragon? That shouldn't surprise us because this is a satanically inspired world movement. We're already seeing the seeds of this in our world. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that globalism is the foundation of this kingdom that has not yet appeared. That the world in which we live is being set up like a stage for a a production that has yet to begin, but we're not there yet. It would be wrong to think we're there yet. We're close, and closer every day. And the darker things become, the more you have to patiently endure, and that's the message of this chapter. So the ten horns, the seven heads, the ten crowns, I'll break this down for you. We've actually mentioned this before, not only in Daniel, but a few weeks ago in our study in the book of Revelation. If I go to chapter 17, and it's always good to look at the Bible and what it says about other portions of Scripture, and I look at chapter 17, verse 12, I read that the ten horns, it's interpreted for us. The ten horns you saw are ten kings. So you see these are symbols, not meant to be taken literally. They mean something. The ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but who for one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast. So along with the ruler of this kingdom, the kingdom will actually have ten kings with one ruling over them. And they have one purpose, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. We'll learn more about them in future studies. But that we know we can interpret with confidence, knowing that that's exactly what the Holy Spirit wants us to understand. So ten kings haven't received the kingdom yet. So if they haven't received the kingdom yet in the time of John, have they received the kingdom today? Some would say yes. I would say no. I think the EU at the moment has 27 member states. So that theory, when they hit 10 members, people were saying, well, this is it. The prophecy is fulfilled. Well, that wasn't correct because now there are 27. So something's going to change about this Eurocentric world system that has yet to appear that at some point there will be ten leaders. That's when you begin to understand that the things that are prophesied in the Bible are actually taking place, when you see that. Now, Daniel talked about the ten toes, or actually Nebuchadnezzar's dream, ten toes on the statue. Uh, In chapter 7, Daniel had a vision. The beast had the ten horns as well, so the ten heads, uh, or seven heads, ten horns. So you have to understand that All of these symbols point us throughout the scriptures to something that we don't know yet. So it would be wrong for me to guess. I'm not going to guess. I'm going to only share what I know, which is not a lot, to be honest, because we don't know the answer to all these questions. We just know what we know, and it helps us to interpret it. So these kings are going to receive authority from and give their power to this coming world leader or ruler, and together they're going to form a world government composed of ten kingdoms. And you might say, a world government? Well, you have to know that in the last hundred years, that has been the goal of the globalist agenda to create a world government. So is it so far-fetched? Certainly not. Now, Daniel revealed that the ten horns are ten kings from the Roman Empire, which was the fourth empire. So again, we have the location of the center of this empire. We have the structure of this empire, but we have not seen it yet, not in its entirety, certainly. And the seven heads are a little bit more complicated. Hang in there with me, because it it really, the symbol symbolizes two things, not just one, but two things. In fact, going back to the scripture in chapter 17, verse 9, we're told exactly, although it may seem a little cryptic, I'll break it down for you. In chapter 17, in verse 9, notice John says, this calls for a mind with wisdom. In this context, the word wisdom means knowledge and understanding, knowing the scripture and knowing how to interpret it. So someone just reading this without that knowledge and understanding is going to be confused. So if this is the first time you're hearing it, don't be surprised if you're confused. If you read it before, but you really never understood it, don't be surprised. It takes wisdom. It takes understanding. I'm going to try to impart to you that wisdom that comes from the scriptures, not my own mind. 
So what we read there is this calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are, that is their symbols of, seven hills on which the woman sits. Now that's a, that's a very clear symbol of Rome, which is a city that sits on seven hills. It's not the only city, but given the context of what we're reading about, it's clear the reference in the first century is to Rome. It goes on, though, to say they are also seven kings. So this symbol has two meanings. They are also seven kings. And notice five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. But when he does come, he must remain for a little while. We're talking about kings. We're talking about forms of government. But then it goes on to say, if you're not confused yet, this will really get you. The beast, who once was and now is not, is an eighth king. He belongs to the seven and is going to his destruction. So we're talking about seven kings, which represent forms of government in Rome. And then we talk about an eighth king, and that's the beast separated from the kingdom. I mentioned before you have the leader of that kingdom. He's referred to as this eighth beast or eighth king. But then you have this kingdom, which goes through different forms of government. It's Rome. The seven hills identify it as Rome. But there are forms of Roman government, and and I'm going to give you a little bit of background here, because the revived Roman Empire, which we're already seeing the beginnings of, will be the seat of Satan's power during the tribulation period, which we are currently not in. Rome will also be the center of a false religious system. Not hard to imagine that with the new pope. I say new, he's not all that new anymore. But Rome will also be the center of a false religious system that worships, of all people, Satan. This is not now, but this is where we're heading. And so the woman that represents the coming world religious system, as we read in chapter 17, she sits on seven hills. Now, prior to 95 AD, when John is writing the revelation of Jesus Christ or recording it, the Roman Empire had had five forms of government leading up to this time. So when John is writing, there had been five, five had fallen, but... In 95 AD, Rome was being ruled by emperors. And this made it an imperial government, which was a relatively new form of government for Roman, uh, the Roman Empire. In 95 AD, Rome was being ruled by emperors. Emperors. So that would represent that sixth form of government. Ultimately, the imperial government fell. We all know the Roman Empire fell. It disappeared, and and now it's beginning to reemerge. So five had fallen when John wrote this. One was in existence and one was still to come. So we believe that that's what we're talking about. Remember, he's talking about kings, but not just individual kings, kingdoms, forms of government. And there is another form of Roman government that has already been predicted by both the book of Revelation and Daniel. It has 10 parts. That much is clear. It's Roman-centric. That much is clear. And it follows a long line of different forms of government that... Have some been in the past? One was in John's present. There's not really one at the moment, but in the future, it will reemerge with ten parts. I know that's a lot to take in. So, it's ten crowns. And by the way, we see this beast, and, and we're not given all the details, but there's seven heads, right? And we're told that there are ten horns and crowns. It's, it's probable if someone were to take a, a, a picture or make a picture of this, that all of the horns are on that last head and all of the crowns on all of the horns on the last head. It's not that the horns are distributed among the different heads, but remember what we've said. The last form of Roman government will have ten parts. So looking at this vision, it's easy to interpret that as well. When we studied in chapter 12, and I pointed this out to you, we saw the dragon looking exactly like this kingdom, which again makes sense. He only had seven crowns. But now he has all ten, which tells us that at some point this government will actually emerge with seven kingdoms submitted to it, and it will conquer the last remaining three. And that's according to Daniel's prophecy in Daniel chapter 7. He revealed that the final three kingdoms will be subdued by this Antichrist or coming world ruler. So what do we know? In the last days, a Roman-centric government's going to emerge it will be much, a re, really a revived Roman Empire, much like the Roman Empire, but different, weaker, but broken up among ten rulers. At first, three will resist, but ultimately, the three will be conquered, and this 
government will emerge. It will be a world government, but it will be Eurocentric. So I hope that helps you to understand how to interpret these symbols. So, the beast was also covered with blasphemous names. So this is a government that defies God. Oh, and that's not hard to imagine at all. Most of the governments, including our own today, defy God and his word. They defy God. What, what is blasphemy? I'll give you some examples of blasphemy. I don't want to get too dark today. Telling a little girl she can be a boy. Telling a little boy he's really a girl. Telling someone that ending their pregnancy isn't murder. Telling people they can worship whatever God they want in whatever way they desire. I can give you many examples of blasphemy today. Defying not only the creation that God has made, but his word and what it teaches. There are many, many examples today. I could go on and on, but here's the truth. That's what will happen in even greater degree, to a greater degree in the future. So how are you going to get through that? If your mind is exploding now because of this current administration, how would you get through a darker day? You would patiently endure. You see, I want you to, at some point, leave here today, not now, hopefully, but at some point leave knowing I can patiently endure these things through the power of Jesus Christ. Because I have the Holy Spirit in me. When these things begin to happen, whether the church is here for some of it, all of it, or whatever, you will be able to get through because God will enable you to patiently endure the way we're patiently enduring right now. I mean, just when I think things are going to get better, they get worse. The things, how about this blasphemy? Teaching our children all types of ungodly things in the public schools and not even telling the parents what they're teaching them. The blasphemies have no end today. So what do we do? Despair of hope? Hide in a bunker? Buy food that will last 20 years? How are you going to get through this? You're going to patiently endure. Let's get back to the symbols here. There's a lot of it. We're also told in verse 2 that the beast resembled a leopard, had the feet like those of a bear, and a mouth like that of a lion. Now you'll remember those symbols from Daniel's vision in chapter 7, which tells us we can link these two prophecies and use them to interpret the truth. See, Daniel described three successive world kingdoms that preceded the Roman Empire. The lion, the bear, and the leopard, they represented Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece, respectively. So you had these three empires represented by these same animals that are mentioned here. And then there's a fourth beast. And so that fourth beast in Daniel 7 is this beast in, in Revelation chapter 13. That much we can see and know. So the beast resembled the three beasts that represented the three world kingdoms that preceded Rome. It resembled Greece, had the strength of Medo-Persia, and the majesty of Babylon, but it's a new and different empire. These three kingdoms are listed in reverse in the book of Revelation because we're looking backward in time from the first century. But when Daniel mentioned it, he went in the reverse order. So we know that these things have already been fulfilled. And then we're also told that the dragon gave his power, that saint, and gave his power in his throne and great authority to the beast. I find it interesting that the Holy Spirit goes out of his way to refer to this individual, who is a man, as a beast. Remember that that's exactly how Daniel described world empires, as beasts. I, I don't know, well, how can I say this? I, I don't know that you can call some people human beings anymore. I mean, they are but they act like beasts. They act like animals. Some of our politicians have gotten into trouble for calling people animals. But the Bible calls this guy a beast. And it's accurate. And I think today in our world, when you look at what some people do to others, you, you have to come to the conclusion that they're acting like animals, beasts. And you have to recognize there's more at play here than just someone having a bad day. When someone pulls a gun at a, at a Costco or a Walmart because someone cut in front of them in line, 
This isn't just someone having a bad day. When someone plans to harm a child and carries that out, or, or kills their family and, and, and actually, and then themselves, or, or, or enters a school or a church and commits atrocities, or starts a war in Europe for no point. You have to stop and realize that's what a beast looks like. That's someone who's inspired by the dragon and they're doing things that are evil. We have to start, if we haven't already, calling evil evil and good good. Because the world is calling evil good and good evil. We have to get out there and preach the truth of the gospel and make sure that we're clear on these things. Evil is still evil. Good is still good. Amen? And I don't want to get too dark today, but the world is a dark place and it's becoming darker. And from this text, we can see it's going to get darker still. But it's the dragon, Satan, who is going to inspire this movement, is already inspiring it. The description of the dragon and the beast are extremely similar. They're they're the same because there really is no difference. So when you see people in this world doing things that are satanic, it's because Satan is behind it. And this similarity reinforces the concept of a satanically empowered kingdom and king, and that is what will happen in the last days. As I've said, the beast represents both a kingdom and a king, and this kingdom and this king will appear in the middle of Daniel's 70th week, the seven years of tribulation that we've been talking about since we got into chapter 6, really. The Roman Empire appeared in the past, we know that. It disappeared, we know that as well, for many years. But it will reappear in the future. I believe the foundations of it are already appearing. And a coming world leader will rise to power over this empire during the first three and a half years. Ultimately, he will take over and rule and reign for the second three and a half years of this time of tribulation. It seems that initially he's going to be a peacemaker. Not hard to imagine. They all say peace as they start wars. He will become a world dictator and break his peace with Israel. We've talked about that. So this is what we expect to happen in the last days. Honestly, I really don't believe the church will be here for this, but it doesn't matter because the truth is it's going to happen, and it's already starting to happen in our world where we're seeing the foundations of these things. How are you and I, how are we going to get through this? We are going to patiently endure. One of the heads, we're told, one of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound which had been healed, and that is a symbol of something It could be a number of things. I'm going to present two options. I think they're probably both true. The wounded head could represent that sixth form of government, the imperialism, the imperialistic Roman government, because after all, that sixth head or imperial government was fatally wounded when Rome fell, the Roman Empire fell. And then Rome, we're told, will be healed and restored and then governed by ten kings as a seventh form of government. So that message of the head being wounded and then healed could very well point to the revival or restoration of this government that existed in the past for many, many years, didn't and will again. But it's also possible, and I say possible because I really don't know, that the wounded head represents what will happen to the Antichrist, this coming world leader, during that time of tribulation. There's some suggestion that the coming world leader will be fatally wounded and then healed. In fact, I want to read a rather obscure portion of scripture, but it's interesting because it's in Zechariah who, who prophesies about last days. God, speaking of a wicked ruler, says these words. I am going in uh, Zechariah chapter 12, uh, 11, verse 16. Zechariah eleven sixteen, For I am going to raise up a shepherd over the land who will not care for the lost or seek the young, or heal the injured, all the things a shepherd's supposed to do, or feed the healthy, but will eat the meat of the choice sheep, tearing off their hooves. This is a brutal person. And then we have a prophecy, Woe to the worthless shepherd who deserts the flock. May the sword strike his arm and his right eye. May his arm be completely withered and his right eye totally blinded. Some have looked at that and they say, well, who is the prophet talking about? Certainly not talking about a good person. Could this be a prophecy talking about 
that world ruler in the last days? Could this be the fatal wound? Could this be part of that fulfillment? Could it be true? And we'll see as we get into further studies. Could it be true that, that he, this ruler, will actually be wounded fatally but survive? And causing the world to wonder after him. I guess we'll find out eventually. But that's some of the ways that we seek to interpret the scriptures here. This would happen prior to his emergence as the leader of a revived Roman Empire. It's amazing. I was reading, so I was reading an article this week, and, and history tells us that things can happen that we, we really never anticipated, right? Leaders emerge on the world stage because of circumstances that are oftentimes out of their control, but everything's under God's control. But did anyone ever hear of Zelensky, the uh, head of the president of Ukraine, until just a few months or years ago? No. But then there was a war that was started by Russia, right, with Ukraine. And you can argue the politics, but now everyone knows his name. How did that happen? No one saw that coming. See, see, what happens in our world, things happen, and then all of a sudden a, a world leader is on the stage, and it's like, well, where did he come from? Where did she come from? We have no idea what could possibly happen that suddenly someone like this evil world leader called the beast could, could emerge. It, it could take something like that or an assassination attempt. Who knows? But at some point, this individual will emerge, and it can happen that quickly. I think that's the thing that we forget, that a, a world leader can just appear, and the world suddenly knows, everyone in the world knows their name. Because the world changes so quickly, doesn't it? So, not sure entirely, but these are some of the symbols we look to interpret. And the whole world, we're told, was astonished and followed this beast, this leader, this again in the future. Not hard to imagine a world where everyone in the world starts following someone. I mean, that's just the way it goes. I, I was amazed at how quickly someone can become very popular and then fall out of favor. Have you noticed this? Elon Musk. He was the savior of the world, you know, with the electric vehicles. Not a fan. Sorry if you own one. I don't really want to pollute the environment with batteries, but that's just me. And all of a sudden, he decided to speak his mind. Whether you agree with him or not is not important. And now he's like the devil in the media. He's a bad guy. You go from being a good guy to a bad guy overnight in this world. And you can go from being a bad guy to a good guy. The devil's in control of this world system, but God is in control of everything that takes place on this earth. And you will be able to patiently endure these things. I will as well. But understand, it's going to get dark. It's going to get dark. Well, a revived Roman Empire may be the reason for the world's astonishment. They just be, may be amazed at this world government. But listen, a world ruler that appears to rise from the dead after a mortal wound would certainly astonish the world. And I suspect that's probably part of this fulfillment. There are personal pronouns that are used. And the term followed seems to indicate the king and not the kingdom. So sometimes you can look at this and say, what, are we talking about the kingdom or are we talking about the king? And it becomes clear as the pronouns change, oh, we're talking about the king over the kingdom, the individual, and not the kingdom he represents or leads. But we're also told in chapter 17, verse 8, that this beast will come up out of the abyss. Now that's interesting because demons come up out of the abyss. Evil spirits come up out of the abyss. I've got to be honest with you, I think quite a few have come up. They, most of them have probably run for office and got elected. The abyss is filled with demons, and demons do inspire and possess people to do wickedness. And in this dark world, you'd have to be crazy as a Christian not to acknowledge that. Some of the stuff we see, there just really is no other explanation that makes any sense whatsoever. Human beings are bad. They're evil, they're wicked, they're sinners, but wait a minute. Some of the stuff we're hearing and seeing and listening to and some of what's being preached, you can't but stop and say, where in the world did this lie come from? Every day there's a new lie. Well, who's the father of lies? Satan. And evil spirits, they promote those lies. We know that from the scriptures. So I think what we're being told here is this leader at some point may not be possessed by the devil, but at some point he will become possessed by the devil. Think of uh, Judas. 
the apostle. There was a point in which he wasn't possessed, and then we're told Satan entered him. That is, he was possessed. So I think what will happen is this individual, perhaps after this assassination attempt, will actually be possessed by an evil spirit, certainly controlled by Satan. That much we're told. And I'm summarizing a lot of what we have yet to study, so I'm not going to go into much more detail, but we've already learned he's an eighth king. He belongs to the seven and goes to destruction. You know what's interesting about that goes to destruction? There's another individual in the scriptures that we're told will go to his destruction. We're told he's the son of perdition. That's a word that's used to describe two individuals in the Bible, this Antichrist and Judas Iscariot. Some people, because of that, I don't believe this, but some people, because of that, believe that somehow it's the demon that possessed Judas Iscariot or something. I just think it's a symbol that tells us and helps us to understand what's going on. But some people have said, oh, Judas Iscariot's going to come back from the dead. I'm like, well, how would you know? I mean, how would you recognize him? Anybody know what he looks like? You know, I mean, sometimes people come up with some pretty crazy theories. I'm just going to say this. It's going to be evil. He's going to be evil. That much we know. And he's eventually worshipped for his miraculous recovery, and that we learn, well, we'll learn it next week in chapter 13, second part. And we're told that men worship the dragon, that is Satan, because he had given his authority to this beast, and they also worship the beast. Now, that's interesting because we worship God the Father and God the Son through the power of God the Holy Spirit. But in the last days, they're going to worship the devil and this Antichrist or this beast, yeah, things are going to get dark, aren't they? The world will worship Satan, who will empower this world ruler. And you think, oh, the world would never worship someone like that. I want to remind you of the 1930s and the 1940s. Because Germany and their allies worshipped Adolf Hitler. And the devil that he worshipped. And if you don't believe that, Watch a documentary. You shouldn't have a hard time finding them. On Netflix, it seems like they're obsessed with Hitler. I don't think you should do this, but if you did go and you did do a search on Hitler, you'd have a few options. I happen to love history, but I don't really love Hitler. I'll tell you this. You start to learn some things, and you think, oh, my, that was kind of a precursor to what we're going to see in the future. You know what's amazing is some people actually thought, and I understand why, that Hitler was the fulfillment of this. That's how close to where we're going parallels where where we were in this world. So the devil's not up to anything new. He's still doing the same old things, but he's going to succeed in the future to some degree. Now, Satan has desired man's worship since his fall from perfection. We know that. Even Satan, well, Satan even tempted Jesus, right? In an attempt to receive worship from him in the temptation of the wilderness. Worship me. Say something good about me. You know, there are people who are narcissistic and there are people who just simply must get all the attention, right? We know people like this. They're intolerable. And if you're like this, we'll pray for you. You wouldn't admit it anyway, but I'm kidding. I'm joking. But the, the truth is, Listen, listen, Satan and this beast, they're narcissistic. Satan wants everyone to say something good about him, but he's corrupt and he's wicked. And there are plenty of people who will say good things about the devil and his angels, but we're not among them, amen? Because we're going to patiently endure. But Satan will receive worship willingly from a doomed Christ-rejecting world. I suspect that many in our world today have no problem bowing the knee to the devil. And the world will worship this world ruler for his earthly power and authority. Okay, so I hopefully haven't depressed you. I'm trying to tell you the truth about where we are and where we're going. But more importantly, I'm trying to encourage you and strengthen you for the battle that we're in. Because you must patiently endure. Endurance is how we win this fight by hanging in there. We will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Don't give up. There are people checking out all the time because they've given up hope. You can't live too many weeks without food, maybe 40 days before it starts to harm you, maybe three to six days without water if you're lucky, maybe three minutes without air, but not one nanosecond without hope. When people lose hope, they take their own lives. When people lose hope, 
they give up and they despair. And rather than enduring, they just check out. They, they look to things like alcohol and drugs. They, they look to things like sin and sinful lifestyles. They look to anything that will help them feel good about themselves. And the only thing that can help you to understand who you really are in Christ is to give your life to Jesus Christ and be filled with the Holy Spirit because that's when you'll know that you're loved. That's when you'll know that God loves you and you'll be able to patiently endure. Well, we're told a few more things, and then we'll close this up. In verse 5 of that chapter, we're told that the beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise his authority for 42 months. By now, you know that that is three and a half years. He opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. By the way, those that live in heaven. Who do you think that is? Well, he was given power to make war against the saints. Notice it doesn't say the church. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. But he was given war, uh, given power, excuse me, to make war against the saints and to conquer them. And he was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. That would be the waters that we talked about before. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, and all whose names have not been written in the book of life, belonging to the Lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. He who has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity he will go. That is, imprisoned. And if anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword he will be killed. That is, martyrdom. And this calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. Now, those saints in that day we sometimes refer to as tribulation saints. They're, they're not the church. We've already mentioned the church is, I believe, living in heaven and mentioned there. And by the way, the word church was used over and over again in the first few chapters, but it hasn't been used since chapter 4. Saints is used because these are saints. These are people who have set apart to God, but they're not part of the bride of Christ. By the way, when we get to chapter 19, you'll find out where the bride of Christ is. The bride of Christ is in the presence of God during this time. And so I do believe in the rapture of the church. There is some debate about when it takes place. I I think uh, there are some who believe it takes place at some point before the middle of that week. There are some that, a week or or, or seven-year period. Um, There are some that believe, like myself, that it will happen before that seven-year period begins. But I don't think there's any doubt that by the time these things happen, those who are in Christ are in Christ's presence. But there will be those who are in Christ's saints, separated Uh, for God and to God, who will go through this very difficult time. We are going through challenging times. They're going to go through extremely challenging times. But still, we're called to patiently endure. Now, if they're called to patiently endure, certainly we can patiently endure, right? Amen? So this beast, this individual is given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies. Again, not a hard thing to imagine in our world, where a world ruler says all manner of evil against God and his people. But this beast will be the spokesman for this kingdom that he rules. And he is a powerful leader, a powerful king, if you will, that is acting and speaking on behalf of a kingdom or government. But he's inspired by the devil. He's going to exercise authority over the earth for the second three and a half years, or 1,260 days of the tribulation. Here it's called 42 months. So that last three and a half years is going to be a very dark and awful time on this earth. Apart from the cataclysms, the world itself is going to be ruled essentially by the devil. So as bad as things are, they're not that bad. Not yet. Notice the beast blasphemed God. He slandered his name and his dwelling place and those that live in heaven. By the way, Daniel, if you'll remember with me in chapter 7, described the little power, a little horn, that had eyes and a boastful mouth. This is the same person. This little horn is going to be a king, and he's, he's different than the other ten, just like Daniel said. And his blasphemy and persecution of the tribulation saints is exactly the same as the beast in Revelation. So this is not just one book telling us this will happen, but at least two. So I don't think there's any disputing that it will happen. How exactly and when are certainly, you know, there's room for speculation and theorizing. But the beast blasphemed God. So when we see our world rulers blaspheming God, which they do frequently, you know who's behind that and you must patiently endure. Daniel described him as speaking against the Most High. He told us that he's going to try to change the set times and the laws of the Jews, and he will. He's going to 
desecrate the temple, that we know. He's going to disrupt the temple sacrifice and demand to be worshipped in Jerusalem. He will be, as Paul tells us, a man of lawlessness who's going to oppose and exalt himself over God. That's Paul in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. These aren't obscure scriptures. This is a reoccurring theme throughout the scripture. He will be a man who, set, who will set himself up in God's temple, proclaiming that he's God. That is what the world has to look forward to, the world that rejects Christ. Now, this beast, in this vision, was given power to make war against the tribulation saints and to conquer them. I've already mentioned that Jesus told us that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And yet, this beast is given the power to make war and conquer the saints. I'm talking about a different group of people. They love God, but it's not the church. Both the church and Israel, as we talked about last week, will be preserved during this time of persecution with the church in heaven for most, if not all, of this time. And Israel, protected on earth for the second three and a half years of tribulation. So if you're here last week, you remember that was our study last week. And the beast is given authority over every tribe, the, the, the people, the language, the nations, the waters, if you will. He's going to rule over them all, every political group on earth. And Daniel described him in this way as a boastful person, more imposing than even the other ten kings. This is going to be a truly wicked individual, worse than Hitler and those that preceded him. So all of the inhabitants of the earth that don't worship Jesus Christ in that day, will worship the beast and therefore worship Satan. Now, if you, if you understand this truth, then you understand this much, that today we live in a world where there are two sides. We've been talking about it for the last couple of weeks. You need to pick a side because guess what? There's good and there's evil. And if you're on the side of good and of God, say amen. If you're on the side of good and of God, say amen. I caught you sleeping. All right, so here's what we know. There's a choice to make. But in the last days, many will make the wrong choice as they're making it today. Worldwide worship will be established, and the alternative is going to be death or starvation. But we're told to patiently endure, because all whose names have not been written in the book of life will worship the beast, but we who belong to Jesus are written, our names are written in the book of life. Say amen. See, God knew before the creation of the world whose name to write in this book. He doesn't have an eraser on his pencil because he doesn't make mistakes. So God knew before the foundation of the world. Did you see that? Belonging to the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. That is, in God's mind, there was never a time where Jesus wasn't going to have to die for his people. But understand that truth. God knew before creation whose name would be written in that book. So to a degree, there is this idea of um, pre-selection or pre-election, you know, but God also knows all things. We don't. So from our perspective, we make a choice. From God's perspective, he knew the choice we would make before we were even thought about. That's very hard to understand, isn't it? (laughs) This book and those written into it belong to Jesus, the Lamb of God. Do you belong to Jesus, the Lamb of God? Amen? Do you want to patiently endure these dark days? Amen? Listen, there's going to be eternal consequences for those that worship this world ruler. We know that. But Jesus was slain. I want to end on a high note. Jesus was slain from the creation of the world. What does that mean? Well, no, Pastor Tim, we know when he was slain. He was slain roughly 2,000 years ago. How can you say from the foundation of the world? Well, listen. God knew that the creation of man would require the death of Jesus, and he created us anyway. Think about that one. There was never a time in God's plan when Jesus' death wasn't a reality. God did not resort to plan B when man fell in the garden. This is plan A. It always was. This gives us a profound understanding of the love of God. This is how we're able to patiently endure. Listen, God created a man he knew would sin and require redemption. Would you have created that man? God set the price of redemption so high as to require the death of his own son. And then he became a man, died a vicious, excruciating death for you, for me, for all of us, and rose again from the dead. I need an amen. God chose to remain a glorified man for all eternity. He's still a man 
Today, a man sits on the throne of God. My mind just exploded. I need to go home and rest. That's a lot to take in. But brothers and sisters, as we've seen already, and as we close, many of the tribulation saints will go into captivity. They will be killed by the sword. That's what we're told. That is going to happen. The beast will fulfill the dragon or Satan's plan to destroy the saints. He's going to persecute those that can still, those that he can get to, that he can still harm during those three and a half years while he's raging and taking his fury out on the earth, which we learned about last week. And these martyred tribulation saints will include Jews, Gentiles, anyone that will stand for God in that day. In fact, we'll talk about them again, but the 144,000 Jews will be martyred. But they're sealed by the Holy Spirit, given the task of preaching the everlasting gospel in the last days. Which, by the way, shows us a very important truth. It is true that before Christ comes again, the gospel will be preached to every single people group. But that is not going to happen until the time of the tribulation. That much you have to be able to see. So the idea that the church is going to make this time come sooner by reaching the world with the gospel isn't true. Yes, we need to reach every people group with the gospel. But before the end comes, yes, the gospel will be preached to every people group. But when we get to it, you'll see it in future studies. God actually sends an angel to preach the gospel to the entire world. So so we're not going to get the, the work of God done for God. God is going to do the work for us. It's important to understand that because that has to do with our whole prophetic viewpoint. So when the tribulation comes and the church is raptured, the work won't be done. You understand what I'm saying? When Christ comes again, the work will be done by him, not by us, not by the church. I believe we'll be gone. I also believe that this work could never be accomplished by us. It has to be accomplished by God. And many will reject the message, but many will receive as well. So, Jesus warned his disciples that this would happen. He talked about it in Luke's gospel, Matthew's gospel. We see it here. And God has promised to provide them with his strength and power to do what? Patiently endure. John explains this calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of his saints. We're saints as well. We're the church, we're the bride of Christ, but we're saints as well. And here you've got to help me out. How are we going to get through these dark days? We are going to patiently endure. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for encouraging us and inspiring us and showing us the truth of where these things are going and being honest with us with full disclosure, making it clear to us that this world is corrupt beyond repair apart from these things happening in the future. Lord, thank you for showing us your plan, but thank you most of all for giving to us the strength we need to get through it. Help us to patiently endure. Fill us with your spirit. When we hear dark things, may our response be to cling to you. When we read that article in the newspaper of some atrocity or some horrific thing that took place in our state or in our our nation or in our community, May we look to you rather than turning on you and say, where is God? May we say, there is God. Helping us to patiently endure these dark days. May we never give up hope. May we put our hope in you. You've told us in advance that these things would happen so that when they happen, we'll believe. So these dark things should actually increase our faith, our faith in you. As bad as they are, they will happen, and we want them to draw us near to you. We are told that if we draw near to you, you'll draw near to us. Lord, draw near to us that we might live for you all the days of our lives and patiently endure. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.